Lord be with you and also with you. My friends, would you open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As a pastor, I have read a number of stories and I've interacted with people uh, in my lifetime who were, who were at one time followers of Christ, but have since drifted from Christianity. Or I've known of men who were at one time faithful ministers of the gospel who were leading successful churches, but over time they have allowed culture and personal experiences to reshape their beliefs where they've destructed their faith and by doing so they have taken friends and family and churches and seminaries and my friends even denominations down a long road of destruction. A historical example of that would have been Henry Emerson Fosdick. From 1918 to 1925, he was served as a minister at First Presbyterian Church in uh, New York City. While he was there, he was well known as a very eloquent speaker. But after a while, the conservatives around him began to become worried about his brand of Christianity. J. Mesham, great Machem, asked this. The question is not whether or not Mr. Fostick is winning men, but whether the thing to which he is winning them is Christianity. In May 22, in a sermon entitled, Shall the Fundamentalists Win?, Fosdick replied to the accusations by denying the core beliefs of Christianity. He denied the belief in the virgin birth by by saying that it was unnecessary, the inerrancy of Scripture, by saying that it was absolutely untenable, the second coming of Christ being that it is absurd. One of his biographers, Robert Motes Miller, said this, Foster of Fosdick could not believe that Jesus' birth was virgin-born. He did not ridicule those who did, but he was adamant that such belief was not essential to the acceptance of the Christian faith. My friends, what ultimately happened was before long, Fostick's Christianity looked nothing like historic Christianity at all. And I hate this. I hate whenever I hear that someone who had once professed faith in Christ has left the faith. Or that a church that once proclaimed the gospel is no longer there, either because it has moved or it has died. And that is the danger that Paul addresses here in this passage. And this is a danger, my friends, that even we at Missio Dei Church face. So my friends, hear the word of the Lord. Would you stand if you are able? And before we, are, before we hear God's word being read, let us pray for his leading. Father, with our Bibles open before us, we come and we ask for your help that the Spirit of God would illumine the printed pages that are before us, that our minds would be alert and open to its beautiful, powerful truth, and that our lives would be quick to welcome it and to obey it and to live in light of it. So help us, Lord, in the speaking and the listening to do so in such a way that honors and glorifies you, the living God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through verse 15. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband 
to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you receive accept a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what am I doing? I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is, there's a danger that Paul is addressing The danger, there's dangers of pastors and churches leaving Christ. And honestly, it's a real danger that the church today faces as well, including our church. At the heart of Paul's concern, we see it in verses two through four, right? Paul feels a divine jealousy for these people that he brought to Christ, that he led to Christ. He has a divine jealousy that they are leaving Christ. And there's so much to unpack here. But first, there's there's the goal of any pastor that is worth his salt. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. I don't know if there's a better description of what a pastor is supposed to do than in this verse. The image is that of a father presenting his daughter to a husband on the wedding day. But things, as Paul is presenting them, are in trouble, right? Things are are going to get bad, really bad. And just look at the passion that Paul feels, though, for these Corinthians. One early church father said this 1,500 years ago. Paul uses a word here which is far stronger than mere love. 
Jealousy burns. Jealous souls burn ardently for those whom they love. And jealousy presupposes a strong affection. Then in order that they should not think that Paul is after power or wealth or honor, he adds that his jealousy is divine. For God is said to be jealous, right? He's a jealous God. Not in a human way, but so that everyone may know that he claims sovereign rights over those whom he loves and does what he does for their exclusive benefit. Human jealousy is basically selfish, but divine jealousy is both intense and pure. Pastors should be concerned for the spiritual well-being, the spiritual condition of their church. But honestly, concerned is way too uh, soft of a term. That's too mild. They should be jealous. My job is to walk you down the aisle to Jesus. And I'm concerned, jealous even, about what could mess that up. And so what can mess it up? Paul gives us two things that can mess up the walking you down as a, a pure, spotless bride to Jesus. And the first thing is that they will be led away. Paul said, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul's already talked about this in in a previous chapter, in chapter 10, where he talks about, listen, there is a spiritual warfare going on for your souls. And what does Satan use to draw people away from Jesus? False teaching. Lies about God. It's what Satan used in the Garden of Eden, right? And it's what he continues to use today. Notice what Paul says about the serpent. He uses cunning and trickery. He's very good at getting us to believe things that are false about God. And the danger is he gets us to believe half-truths and lies. lies. And ultimately, by ingesting this, we drink it thinking that it'll be good. But ultimately, what happens? It kills our soul. But here's another danger that Paul puts out there. He says that they will be led astray because of certain people. Paul says in verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you've received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And this is absolutely serious. They are receiving a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. The message that Paul preached was a simple gospel, and it was threefold. The first was that Christ was crucified and he rose from the dead. The second thing is that the spirit is given to all who believe. And there are certain characteristics and qualities of the spirit that they receive. And third, the third is that we can all receive the gospel, the good news of the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation to God through simple repentance and faith. 
And that's the amazing news. But another group had entered into this Corinthian church and they preached about another Jesus, a different spirit and a different gospel. And the church was willing to go along with it. And he called them super apostles. The leaders of this church, my friends, exist to marry you to Jesus. But the church is always, is always in danger of cheating because it's led away by our enemy through false teachers. And this is our greatest danger. Our greatest danger as a church probably isn't that we will not be able to find a perfect place to do ministry. It isn't that we, we, we don't have the growth that we were hoping for. Our greatest danger is that we will ultimately drift away from Jesus, the Spirit, and the Gospel because of false teaching and false teachers. It is what has destroyed churches across the United States like nothing else, and it will destroy our church if we are not careful. So what was the false teaching that the super apostles brought into the Corinthian church? We don't know exactly what they were teaching. But it seems like from the rest of this book that it was some version of the prosperity gospel. Very light on humility, very light on suffering, but very big on power and very big on success. These super apostles made two accusations of Paul. The first we see in verses five and six, that Paul was an inferior public speaker. In verse 6, Paul says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Listen, image matters, right? But Paul did not have that image. He wasn't slick enough. He, He wasn't polished enough. And the reality is that we all, all of us, all of us tend to be attracted to the slick and to the polished and evidently Paul did not measure up. But there was a a second accusation that was going on, that Paul did not make enough money as a preacher. And Paul even said, listen, I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Paul accepted money from other churches so that he could continue on in his ministry, but he also worked with his hands. He wouldn't let money get in the way of the spreading of the gospel to the nations. Among the socially elite, the fact that Paul worked with his hands would have been an embarrassing fact. He was a tradesman, a manual laborer, a union guy, and they did not like that. They thought that a successful leader, a successful order of the gospel should be a good speaker, but he should also be very successful. And these same views are around today. These same views are the same things that we need to be on guard. This is false Christianity, and we hear it on our TVs, on our radios, and in our bookstores. We hear it through popular preachers like Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, Paula White, Joyce Myers. It is absolutely dangerous, my friends. Sean DeMars, who once got caught up in the false false gospel, shares this. He says, brothers, call it what it is. 
pastors, call it what it is. Don't even, don't let even a hint of that junk live in your church. Preach against it and preach a gospel that shines so bright and burns so hot that any other gospel that tries to approach it burns up upon entry. Don't treat this like an asystematic sniffle in an otherwise healthy body. Treat it like the cancer that it is. Preach, teach, counsel, shepherd, and pray a clear and true gospel and leave no room for anything less than glory, anything less glorious or true. He goes on to say, if you meet someone who is lost in this false gospel, please, please, please love them and tell them the truth. Sit them down, buy them lunch, open up your Bible, speak life, be brave. Odds are no one has ever loved them enough to tell them the truth about themselves. The truth is that they cannot be saved by a false gospel. And the prosperity gospel is certainly that. Friends, be on guard about this false gospel. Be on guard about what you allow yourself to ingest, what you allow your ears to hear, your eyes to see, your hearts to receive. It was a danger in Paul's day, and it is a danger today. So what are we going to do? Here's what I want to get across today. Stay faithful to Jesus. Many churches, many believers haven't. And again, here is the goal in verse 2. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. The goal of your life and the goal of this church is what, that is what is, it is all about. To present you as a pure virgin. And how do we do that? My friends, two ways. First, cling to Jesus. You see that in verses two to four, right? You have been betrothed to Christ, long after him. Make him your greatest joy. Find all of your satisfaction in him. Cultivate your love for him. Make all your life about him. That's why as a church, we really want to major on Jesus. Week after week, we get up. We want to focus. Make him be the focus of our lives. It's why we celebrate communion every week, unless we're apart. Keep Jesus front and center in your life. And that let's keep him front and center of our church. The second thing that we need to do is be on guard against false teaching. No other Jesus. No other gospel. We tend to think of false teaching as really not that big of a deal that will have, it really won't impact me. We, we think that it's about what we feel rather than what we think. But it really, friends, is a big deal. It will draw us away from Jesus. It's a cancer that will kill us. 
So my friends, be on guard against false teaching, including in this case, teachings that that say that the Christian life helps us avoid suffering. After all, my friends, we are called to suffer. We are called to follow a Christ who suffered for us. So my friends, stay faithful to Jesus by clinging to the gospel and resisting false teaching. And if we do this, with God's help, our church will remain faithful for the long haul. And I will have the joy of presenting you to Christ. And for that day, I can't wait. May God help us be faithful until that day. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for a Christ, the Christ, who came, who lived the life that we were supposed to live, who died the death that we were supposed to die, and rose victoriously from the grave. Father, we thank you for that good news. We thank you for the spirit, not of fear, but the spirit of power and confidence. We thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. Lord, we thank you for all that good news, and we thank you, Lord, that you have accepted us through our simple repentance and confessing our faith in Christ. Lord, may we as a church remain faithful to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and our bridegroom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, now and forevermore. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Go in peace.